this is Minta, and you're listening to Mint, the podcast equipping you to run the race of faith well. I like to say that we meet at the intersection of real life and the Word of God. Together, let's find practical ways we can grow stronger in our faith, live according to truth, and love those around us. I love hearing from you. So if you've been impacted by the show or have a question or just need prayer, please drop me an email at the address listed in the show notes. Mint is listener supported, and we would be so honored if you would consider making a donation to help keep us on the airwaves. All donations are tax deductible. Simply head to our website for more details, www.amintageisler.com. Let's do this faith journey together. Well, welcome to the show. I'm so glad you're here, and I can't believe it. We are in the final eighth episode of the Beatitude series called Walk With Me, and we have been studying the words Jesus spoke on the Sermon on the Mount, his invitation to us to live a life full of godly righteousness and not self-righteousness, and to have this holy emptiness where he can fill us up to overflowing with himself. And then out of that comes mercy and purity and being a peacemaker. And so we are now in the final beatitude, and I have just loved diving deep into each of these topics. And I hope that you too have gained some insight and some practical application as we have focused on each of them. Now, if you have missed one of them, I encourage you go back. It all kind of builds on each other. The first four are this wonderful picture of holy emptiness and the posture that Jesus wants our heart to have so that he can fill it up with his good stuff to have it flow out of us. And so we are on the last and final eighth one. I'm going to read it, but if you've missed it, feel free to pause right now and head back and listen to those other ones, because today we are going to finish that off, do a little review and be done. But what an amazing series, and I'm always just so struck by how Jesus takes big religious ideas and he boils them down and makes them so simple and so understandable and just gives us a little simple guidebook for how we should be living and what we should be focusing on and what the posture of our heart needs to be. I love that. I love that it's understandable for us. And so I just, I hope that this series has been as meaty and helpful as it has been for me. I hope it's been that for you. Let's jump in, let's pray, and get started. God, I just thank you so much for this time together. And as we head into the final beatitude, God, will you give us eyes to see you, ears to hear you, and hearts that are open to receiving and learning and growing from you. In your name we pray, amen. All right, the final beatitude is Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12. God blesses those who are persecuted for righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Who blessed are the persecuted. Man, what... A crazy idea. And, and at the end of this, where Jesus says, be happy about it. Be very glad for the reward is great and it puts you on par with the ancient prophets. But still, persecution, being joyful about it, that is a hard mindset to grasp onto. And 
You know, when I started researching persecution for Christians in the church, I was just so sad at what I found. You can try this too. Google countries where Christians are persecuted and just see what comes up. Here's some of the stats. 340 million Christians are persecuted for their faith today. They literally are afraid for their lives. 340 million. That's one out of every eight people with faith. I guess I didn't understand how much persecution was still happening. I knew it happened around the globe, but I didn't know just how many. The 10 biggest countries where persecution happens are India, Afghanistan, North Korea, China, Iran, Russia, Nigeria, Vietnam, and Somalia, where people literally have to fear for their lives. And this just hurts my heart because we do just take so much for granted here. We are free to worship. We are free to pray in public. We are free to read God's word. We are free to gather. And I think, you know, it might not always be easy for us here. There's starting to be a little persecution that's happening. If you hold to Christian beliefs and that God's word is true, there is definitely the tide is turning and it has become uh, not as culturally acceptable. But still, I don't believe many of us listening to this podcast fear for our lives because of our faith. And, and even... Even if we're not um, afraid for our lives, I just think it's coming and the tide is turning and we are already seeing the negative responses. People are claiming if you hold the truth that you're unloving or that you're intolerant or that you're hateful, you're legalistic. And so this persecution problem, I don't think is going anywhere anytime soon. However, we should not be surprised because when you dig into scripture, um, there are some pretty poignant things that Jesus had to say about persecution. I am going to flip to John chapter 15. If you want to join me, you can, or you don't have to. I will just read it out loud. John 15, starting in verse 18. If the world hates you, remember it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally, they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. But they will do all of this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. Man, we are promised that we're going to re- receive persecution, that it's going to be hard. I'm going to flip back to Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Jesus says this, look, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. So be as shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves, but beware. For you will be handed over to the courts and you will be flogged with whips in the synagogues. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell the rulers and unbelievers are about me. And when you are arrested, don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time, for it is not you who will be speaking. It will be the spirit of your father speaking through you. So Jesus pretty much guarantees that if we are living a life of faith and true righteousness, we are going to face persecution. Now, Paul agreed with him. I'm going to flip to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and I'm going to read starting in verse 8. He says this, We are pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but we're never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, 
our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. Wow, isn't that amazing? A little further on in chapter 11, verse 23, Paul says this. Second Corinthians 11, 23 through 27. Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. Listen to this. I've worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. <laughs> Three times I was shipwrecked. I mean, he just goes on and on about all of the persecution that he had to face. And I'm going to hazard a guess that most of us have not had a journey that looks like that. I mean, maybe we have a neighbor that makes fun of us, or we have a coworker that says something to us, or we have family members that don't understand why we have the rules that we do, so they tease us, could call us big prudes or something like that. But we haven't had to face persecution like that. And 2 Timothy 3.12, though, says, yet everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And so I think if we haven't yet experienced it, we will. It's coming. We're promised it. And here's why. The darkness hates the light. Those who walk in darkness do not like when there is light that exposes that they have sin. I'm going to turn to John chapter 3, verses 19 through 21. This is the reason why we're persecuted right here. The judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. And so it's a, it's a fear-based thing from culture. It causes a hatred in them because they don't want to be exposed for the darkness. Oh, sweet friends, I was reading in 2 Timothy I know, lots of scripture, but I think it's so important to know what God's word says to us about these topics. 2 Timothy 3.5 says this, and um, this actually gives me the chills <laughs> because it sounds so much like our culture nowadays. Here we go. Three one. you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times, for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others, have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Man, does that not sound like what is happening in our culture? We have no regard for authority. We call what is truth um, old-fashioned, and we decided that absolute truth doesn't exist and that whatever we want truth to be, it can be. Our culture is just headed down this destructive path where darkness is trying to make the light look bad, and persecution is coming. And if we hold to the truth of God's word, I believe increasingly, if we hold to absolute truth, we will face backlash from a lost world. 
because the world has been deceived into thinking that truth is relative and it's whatever they want it to be and that they can lash out in hatred and anger if they see something that they don't like because they're justified to do it. And that hatred and that anger, they actually have been deceived into thinking is going to accomplish something. And so it's like the cool thing to do to hate truth and then to be full of venom at the people who hold to truth. And so there is persecution coming. But what I want to say is this. There is truth. There is absolute truth. And it's this. God is good. And his word can be trusted. And we can trust him. And it's worth it for us to fight the good fight and hold to that truth. And to love the world around us, even if it hates us. It's worth enduring the persecution. It's worth standing strong because we have an eternal reward, right? The kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Jesus said that. He said, be very glad for your reward will be great because he knows that even though it may not be fun here on earth, what is coming for us when this life is over is going to make it so worth it. And this life will feel like but a wink, one little blink. And so he implores us to hold strong, to keep running the race. But what I want to talk about today is just some practical ways that we can kind of guard ourselves and strengthen ourselves and prepare for the persecution that is here and that is sure to come. What practical things can we do? Well, the first one is this. We need a new mindset. I'm going to turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, and it says this. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad. There's our new mindset. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all of the world. So be happy when you're insulted for being a Christian. For then the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. And then a little further down. So if you're suffering for a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. So that is our new mindset. What a privilege it is to suffer for his name. Instead of dreading it, instead of hating the idea of it, we need to be glad because it's a mark of honor. It's a great privilege. It puts you in the company of the prophets of old, and you know you're doing it right if it's happening to you. And, you know, I just want to brag on my kid here a little bit, my 17-year-old Ty. He has been brave enough this year in his classes uh, to be vocal that he's a Christian. And in a couple of his classes, he has taken some flack for that. And he's been called names. He's had somebody go off on an angry tirade and tell him he must be full of hate and he's intolerant and that all Christians are hateful. And how could he be so unloving towards groups of people? And my son was so amazing at responding to these people. He has stayed calm and he has apologized man, I'm so sorry if that's been your experience with Christians. I feel so bad that somebody has made you think that that's the way Christians feel about groups of people. That's not it at all. We love, man, I love everybody. And whether or not that was received isn't the point. I'm just so proud of him because not only was he not ashamed, um, but when he received persecution for that, man, he just responded so humbly and apologized and handled it so well and stayed calm. So anyway, I just thought that was such a great 
uh, example for us to follow, that we don't need to be afraid of it. And God will give us the grace in that moment to handle what's coming at us and to respond humbly and to help to start to break down those walls. So the second thing is this. We need to put on the armor of God. Man, if we know a fight's coming, we got to get stronger. We got to get ready for the fight, right? We got to pick up our armor and we got to fight. So I'm flipping to Ephesians 6, verse 13. I know you've heard it, but here we go. Put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And after the battle, you will be standing firm. So stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness, which we've been studying in the Sermon on the Mount. For shoes, put on peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil and put on salvation as your helmet. Take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Man, we got to be ready. We got to be in the word. We got to be praying. We got to make sure our faith cup is full. We got to guard our actions and stay righteous. We got to avoid sin. We have to literally think of ourselves as entering this battleground, but God has given us the armor that we need to protect ourselves. So get a new attitude or a new mindset. Be very glad about it. Put on your armor. And number three, find your armor bearer. We all need the support of the people around us in order to endure persecution that comes our way. Now, I don't know if you've heard the story of Jonathan and his armor bearer in 1 Samuel 14, but he has an armor bearer. He's the son of the king, so he gets somebody to carry his armor because that's what happens when you're royalty. You don't have to carry your own stuff. Someone carries it for you. Wish I had an armor bearer. That'd be super fun. But anyway... He, he and his armor bearer, Jonathan, says, I think we should go fight this battle. Everybody else is afraid to fight. Let's just me and you do it. And his armor bearer was like, yeah, let's do it. We all need an armor bearer. That when we're facing a battle like that, when persecution's coming at us, that we have somebody that's like, yeah, let's do this. I got you. I see you. I'm on your back. Let's do, let's do this together. Because it's so helpful to have friends around us. Nobody can do battle alone. And if you are facing persecution, it's so imperative that you reach out to your Christian friends or family or your support, whatever it is, so that they can say, keep going, keep standing strong. How can we encourage you? How can we fight with you? How can we um, be with you in this time when you are facing persecution. So we all need that. You know, and even as brave and awesome as my son has been, sometimes he comes home and it's really hard and he's sad and he's frustrated and he feels alone in his beliefs and he needs us, my husband and I, to encourage him and hug him and tell him how proud we are of him and that this fight is not in vain. He needs to be built back up because he's battle weary. So we all need those armor bearers that can put us back together that even if we're standing strong in the persecution, we all get weary. We all need somebody. So I just want to encourage you, find your people now. Start to talk to your people. Start to have honest conversations with them so that when the real stuff hits, you have somebody you can go to and say, hey, I know we're supposed to expect persecution, but this is really hard and I need a hug because I feel alone. I feel like I didn't respond very well or I didn't have the right words to say. Can you help me do this? So get your armor bare. And number four, don't quit. 
don't quit. If you face persecution, don't stop talking about your faith. Don't stop inviting people to church. Don't stop sharing God's love. Don't stop doing it because you just want the persecution to go away. We can't quit. We have to decide now that we're going to do it. We have to decide now it's worth it, that it's an honor, that we're going to be glad about it and we're not going to quit. I mean, remember all that I read about that Paul endured? He did not give up. I think um, there would have been days after probably lash number 50 (laughs) that I'd have been like, peace out. I don't think so anymore. But he did not. He kept going. He did not quit. And it's because of the promise at the end of this beatitude, the kingdom of heaven is yours. It's, it's going to be so awesome that it's going to be worth it. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that or it's hard to grasp the fact that we could be going to a place that's so awesome that it won't matter if we literally are mocked and tortured and beaten here. It's hard to keep that in view. It's hard to have an eternity mindset of like, I can do this now because eternity is going to be so sweet. I won't even care about it then. But we have to have an attitude of, I'm not going to quit. I used to do a workout video, hang with me here. And she, we did repetition over and over for 15 straight minutes on one muscle group till you hit fatigue and literally wanted to fall over and pass out on the floor. But she would say with each new exercise, one minute, come on, you can do anything for a minute. You can do anything for a minute, gut it out. The reward's going to be worth it. Think about what you're going to look like in the summer in your swimsuit. You can do anything for one minute. And that's a silly example, but the mindset's the same. Our life on earth is going to feel like but a minute, and we can do anything for a minute, and we just think about the reward and what heaven's going to be like. So don't quit. If you're discouraged, don't give up. Find your armor bearer. Start literally praying the armor over yourself every day. Every day, ask God to give you a new mindset. Do those things. Because the kingdom of heaven is yours and it's going to be so worth it. I promise you that. All right, friends, we have come to the end of this Beatitudes. And I'm so sad about that because this has been so rich and so full. But I just thought to close, I'm going to read them again. And then I'm going to pray. And I just am going to pray that the Lord would help these words grow down deep into our hearts, that they would take root there and that we would overflow with godly righteousness. So here we go. God blesses those who are poor in spirit and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. And God blesses those who are persecuted for righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God, I just thank you so much for the power of these words that Jesus spoke. Oh God, that we would be people who seek to look like this, that we would have a holy emptiness that would get filled up with your righteousness, and that we would be able to pour out your love on a world that so desperately needs it, and that we would be able to stand firm no matter what comes. God, will you help these words to take root in our heart and go down deep 
and will you cause us to live according to this truth? In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to Mint, the podcast dedicated to making spiritual things practical. If you want more information about Mint or Reckless Abandoned Ministries, you can just head to our website at www.amintageisler.com for more information.